We're in the middle of practice, Leanne. You can thank me later. Michael, do you remember when we first met and we went to that horrible part of town to buy you those dreadful clothes? And I was a little bit scared and you told me not to worry about it because you had my back. Do you remember that? Yes, ma'am. And if anyone tried to get to me, you would have stopped them, right? And when you and SJ were in that car wreck, what did you do to the airbag? Stopped it. You stopped it. You stopped it. This team is your family, Michael. You have to protect them from those guys, okay? Listen. Tony here's your quarterback, all right? You protect his blind side. When you look at him, you think of me, how you have my back, how you have his, okay? All right, Tony, go back. All right. Oompa Loompa here is your tailback. When you look at him, you think of SJ and how you'd never let anyone or anything hurt him. You understand me? All right, go back. Got it? What about Collins and Mr. Tui? Fine, they can be on the team too. Are you going to protect the family, Michael? Yes, ma'am. Good boy. Now go have some fun. <laughs> oh, isn't she great? After the Braveheart speech. If you haven't watched Blindside, go and get it. However you get it, just don't tell me how you get it. But uh, just go and watch The Blindside. Uh, it's based on a true story. And everyone needs uh, Sandra Bullock for an adopted mom. No. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I am kicking off this series. I was going to get myself into so much trouble there. So I just thought I would... I would. I'm kicking off this series called Courageous Community. And uh, it, it, it's been kind of in the wings for quite a while now and I've been thinking about uh, community because community in church can be, can be wonderful and it can be terrible and I'm going to speak about both. Uh, but I, I was chatting to a, a non-Christian guy and one of the things that he spoke to me about is he said, do we have to do the church thing? Like can't I just be a podcast type Christian or can't I just, do I have to be around other Christians? And, and I empathize because I have to be around some Christians every night. And, and, and anyway, I, I started thinking about it, and I, I started kind of going, how do we get the special? And, uh, and that's what I'm going to speak about today. But we all know that people who do phenomenal things in life do it because of a Sandra Bullock. We, they do it because, I don't know if you, if you know the story about NASA, but when I say first man on the moon, we all go, Neil Armstrong, two of you go, Neil Armstrong. And if I said, who else stepped onto the moon? Does anyone know? Just stick up your hand. I'm not going to make you sad. Does anyone? Okay. Oh, you're American. It doesn't count. Yeah, a guy, did, a guy called Buzz and another guy called Michael. Anyway, the, Michael Collins, that's a good name. Um, but what you don't know is that there were 400,000 people who put them on the moon. 400,000 of the smartest, most dedicated work tirelessly people got them onto the moon because you will never actually do anything incredible without a community of courage. And I, I started thinking about this and I thought about my last few years and, uh, and the ups and downs and, and I thought about what made my life better than it should have been. And as I was thinking about it, uh, I thought uh, there's, there's been a community of courage around me. And uh, I thought of one guy who said to me, he sat me down the one day, he said, Ross, if, he's a business guy, he said, if you're involved in a city project, I will be involved in the city project. I will not do it without you, because he tried without me, and that had gone south, 
He said, I believe there's a spiritual anointing on you. I will do it with you. And, and, and he built it. And I realized that guy gave me courage I didn't have to do things that I wouldn't otherwise have done. There's a, a community of three black influential leaders in the city. And I prayed, God, give me black influential friends who will help me be better than I can be. And you heard a couple of them speak last year in, in Klantla Kambule. Um, I'm going to his birthday party later today, and then I'm preaching. It's going to be quick. But anyway, uh, he, he, he raised me up. He, he gave me courage to keep walking across racial divides and to, to keep engaging in problems in the city. And he came up with vision, and he gave me, he just made me better. It's a community of courage. And I, I thought about my friend Dave Gould, who, who during the lows of my, of my last year, he just kept giving me courage and he kept saying to me, Ross, you don't do that, you do that because you're better than that. You need community of courage. And then I started thinking about that and I started thinking about what community often is in church. If, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years, just put up your hand. Okay, keep your hand up if you've been in a life group okay, or a small group or a home group. Keep your hand up if... It has been terrible at times. Okay, here's the thing. Christian community can be terrible. And I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why. And then I'm going to talk about where we're going this year. Now, what I do want you to hear is last week's sermon, if you missed it, I never really punt sermons that I do, but I think you should listen to it because it's kind of, especially if you call this church home, it'll shape the year. But with that said, um, I've lost my train of thought. Where on earth am I going? Oh, there we go. Bad community. Easy topic. Research shows that communities can be bad when you get one too many extra care required people in a group. Anyone ever had that experience? Like there's just one too many people, they just need more grace than the next person. Now, if, if you're trying to work out who that person is in your group that you're part of, it's probably you, okay? Just, just letting you know. And then I started thinking about that, and I, and I thought, because what happens is when you get one too many extra care required people, group dynamics go south. And then I thought about Jesus' group. And so just think about Jesus' group, because group dynamics was really important to him. So he chose a guy called Simon, who was a zealot. Zealots hated tax collectors. And right next to him, he made Matthew, who was a tax collector, sit. It was Jesus. He, he had Peter. Peter was completely impetuous. Any impetuous people here with me? Me and, any, and two, three. Okay. Then he, he got Thomas to sit next to him. Thomas was a doubter. He questioned everything. He found the problem everywhere. He just went, Jesus went, this will be good for group dynamics. And then he got, he got two brothers who are highly competitive. They were called the sons of thunder, James and John. He thought, let's just throw them in to make this a fantastic, easygoing group. And if, if it's not good enough as it is, let's just put Judas, who will betray me, into the mix. And let's see how this group goes. And what you realize is he had the worst group possible, but they transformed the world because he got something right. The thing I believe he got right, he got lots of things right, but one of the things that he got right is he managed to put courage into them. 
and created a courageous community because I think the most devastating thing that can be possibly happen in a Christian community is that it can be a, a community based on my fears and needs. When you have a, a community that's, that's all about what's going wrong in the world and my fears and, and my needs, it's a recipe for a disaster. So here's what I'm trying to do unashamedly in this series. I'm trying to get everybody into a group, but I don't want it to be a normal group. I want it to be a courageous group. So that's where we're going to go over this series of six weeks, and it will be good, I promise, because I got to practice on the 8.15, so by now, like, I know what I'm going to say. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 14.22. I want to talk about how Jesus built a community of courage. It says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He just um, multiplied the, the loaves and the fishes, and, uh, and he'd been ministering. And just before that, uh, John the Baptist had been killed. He tried to get away to be by himself. But when he got there, there were tons of people. And so he, he ministered to them, healed the sick, and then multiplied food. Now, He's, he's got to the end of that, and it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I want to say to people, take courage, if it's him, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down onto the, out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. I've read this text lots of times. And there's one question that I had for you is, why on earth did Peter go, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. That was fascinating. I mean, if, if I was kite surfing and I saw a dude walking on water next to me, I wouldn't say to him, hey, bro, if you're Jesus, tell me to walk to you. I just, I'd kite past, like I wouldn't get off the kite. What made him do that? To understand that, you have to understand a little bit of the context of the day. So in that day, um, and, and some of you would have heard this, you've been Christians for a while, you would have heard Rob Bell speak about this a lot, and, and there are a bunch of others who've spoken about it a lot. But in that day, to be Jewish as a boy, you would have, by the age of 10, you would have learned the first five books of the Bible in Hebrew by heart. You'd learned the Torah. And, and there was a name for that. Uh, they kind of call it kindergarten now, but uh, it, it was called Bet Sefer, or junior school. Then what would happen is the best of those kids, the kids who could remember the whole thing by heart, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, who could remember all of those, they would then go to the next stage. And the next stage was learning the rest of the Old Testament by heart by the age of 14. 
and they called that Bet Talmud. So, so what would happen is all the Dorfies would drop off, and then, then these oaks would come through, and then they would memorize the whole thing. And then the best of those, kind of the Harvard kids, they would then get to go to the next level, which was called Bet Midrash. Now, Bet Midrash, what would happen then is that those kids were looking f- to become rabbis. Now, I know today there isn't like a queue of people going, career choice, pastor. But in those days, in those days, being a rabbi was the highest form of Jewish society you could get. So everybody wanted to become that. The best of the best who'd made it through the first two layers got to the third layer where they would go to a rabbi and they would say, can I be your disciple? Now, the rabbi, each rabbi had his own interpretation of scripture. They called that a yoke. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, what he's talking about is his interpretation of scripture is easy and his burden is light. And what each rabbi would do is they would tell people what was permitted and what wasn't permitted, and they called that telling, binding, and loosing. So what they would say is they would say, you've heard it said, Remember Jesus ever saying this if you're a Christian? You have heard it said, blah, 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 but I tell you, that was binding and loosing. And each rabbi, because he wanted his teaching to last through the ages, would look for the smartest of the smart. And then he would put them through like mental kung fu to see who could survive it because he was looking for someone who could be like him. So Jesus comes along to Andrew and Peter. Remember what they're doing? Fishing. I reckon they dropped out in grade two. (laughs) And Jesus says to them what every rabbi would have said to the best of the best of the best. Come, follow me. And they go and leave everything what the disciples all across all the rabbis would have done. They leave everything to follow Jesus because in effect what Jesus is saying is, I believe you can teach what I teach, you can do what I do, you can be like me. You want to know why Peter steps up in the water? Because his rabbi says to him, you can do what I do. So Peter goes, let's give this a whirl. Takes a few steps and then glug, glug, glug. But it's, it, it's incredible. When you understand this concept, it changes everything about Christianity. And Christianity cannot be a let's talk about our problems group. Because Christianity means that I am a follower of Jesus, that Jesus called me to follow him, and therefore he believes that I can be like him, and so I need a community of other people who believe that they can be like him because he called them in a boat. You've got to get into a boat. Then you've got to ask the question, okay, so if Jesus, I mean, if Peter gets it, what happened to the rest of the Muppets? Why why are they just sitting in the boat, doing nothing? Well, they're scared. What are they scared of? The big waves. They're scared of the storm. Now, what's interesting about this is that boats are designed for flat water 
or storms. Well, storms, I mean, don't buy a boat that's designed for flat water. Storm, boats are designed for storms. The problem with a boat is when the storm that's on the outside begins to get onto the inside. And the problem with people is when what's happening in Iran and half of Australia burning down and the economy around us and what's happening in our cricket team begins to get onto the inside of us. See, that's called fear. And when fear gets inside of you, I hate fear. When fear gets inside of you, it, it inserts itself and then it integrates itself. It inserts itself generally through an event and then it integrates itself into all your thinking and then it has babies. And it starts to consume you. It reproduces itself. And in the space where fear has inserted, integrated, and reproduced, what you find yourself doing is you start sinking. But these disciples have got two problems. They've got the fear of the storm, and then they've got a dude walking on water. So they're scared of their circumstances getting in, and they're scared of their solution. They're terrified, and I understand why. Looking at a guy walking on water, it's, it's scary. Now, here's what I want you to understand. They've just seen Jesus break the laws of nature by multiplying one meal to feed 5,000 people. They've been with him, they know him, they've seen him break the laws of nature. They should have been able to recognize Jesus when he was walking along and gone, if he can multiply one meal to feed 5,000, then surely he can break the law of gravity and walk on water. But when you're in a storm and fear has integrated itself into you, it is almost impossible to see Jesus. Some of you are sitting in a storm right now and you need a Peter to get up out of the boat so that you can see Jesus. You see, home groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them, they were so bad at one stage in my Christian life that I thought the last thing, in fact, I haven't done a life group for, I don't know, eight years maybe. I, I just went, these things... I know I tell you to get into them, but they're bad. I'm not getting into them. And I started to realize it's because we haven't made them communities of courage based on becoming like Jesus. And when you don't make them communities of courage based on coming like Jesus, then people will start to isolate themselves. And so what happened over the last, I don't know, 10 years of church across probably the world, is people less and less and less got involved in communities. And, and what happens when you don't get involved in communities' courage is that Satan just sneaks you off and then he throws a storm at you, maybe two storms, and then over time he just takes your legs out from underneath you. And instead of living who Jesus made you to be, you find yourself being just like the world around you. So I want to talk about moving us out of that. Fear is why 
so many of us are sinking in storms that we're meant to be walking on. Now, I, I, uh, I sat down and I, and I went, okay, what are we going to make our communities of courage like? And I, I accidentally like, bumbled into something. I was, um, I was with my interns, and so we have phenomenal interns. They're, if you see them around serving their hearts out, they're 10 of them, they're just absolutely incredible. Um, front rows nodding their heads, just awesome, awesome people. Um, there's, they're virtually all non-white. So I'm sitting with them, teaching through Genesis 9. Genesis 9 is the most boring chapter. It's like maybe the second most boring chapter in the Bible. And, and I'm reading through it. And Genesis 9, it ends with the story about Noah getting drunk. And he's got three kids. And Canaan, nobody knows why. Don't ask me to explain this. But Canaan has a look at him drunk and naked. And, and then goes and tells his brother, Noah wakes up and curses Canaan. Anyone remember this? Wow, you read that chapter. Okay, so, so here's, here's what happened. I, I'm just giving you a picture. What the, those, the colonialists and those who led apartheid did is they said, right, Canaan, the, Canaan, the descendants of Canaan, went to the Middle East and Africa. And they used that scripture that Canaan was to be slave to their brothers to justify enslaving entire people groups. And so, so they went, this is from the Bible. And over, over years, they kept reinforcing it. And, uh, and then what they did is they literally inserted a lie over someone's identity, a group of people's identity, that you were born to be slaves. And through that, they could control people. And when a lie gets into a person's identity, it'll break them. And so I said to them, I said... But when I read my Bible, I read that God has placed all people at a specific time and he's determined the boundaries of their dwellings and that he's broken the curse through Jesus Christ and that he'll never give us anything that we can't handle. So when I look at Africans in Africa, I see Africa as the most resourced continent in the, on the planet and therefore he must have put into Africans the DNA which would enable them to steward the most resources on the entire world. And therefore, when I'm speaking to African people, I find it an absolute privilege as a white person to speak to them about how to think like kings so that they can resource, they can look after the resources of their country. As I'm beginning to speak, I'm just talking normally like this, people literally started crying because they've lived in fear and under lies. And see, I hate fear. All the way through boarding school, I couldn't get up and speak in public because of fear based on a lie. I hate what that does. But you need a community of courage to stand up and say, it's not meant to be like this, so I'm going to teach you how to think like a king. And I sat with them and I said, when you see litter, Kings take responsibility for their environment. I told them a story about how I was walking down the road with Eric Tochner, one of the primary business people in Durban. And as he's walking, he's picking, up, he's picking up litter. And I said to him, why are you picking up litter? He says, because it's my city. I look after it. That's how kings think. And I spoke to him about arriving on time. 
Why do you arrive on time? Because you respect your time and you respect my time. And kings think like that. They respect one another's time. And I started speaking about how you sit and how you look at people in the eyes because you respect. And, and every single aspect that would enable them to steward resources well, I said to him, this year, I'm going to talk to you about one after the next. You see, this is a community of courage. And every one of them is going, give it to me because I want to be who Jesus made me to be. That's a courageous community. And I want to build lots and lots and lots of courageous communities. So I wrote to list. This is what courageous communities do. They help one another find Jesus in the storms. If you're in a storm, you don't need someone to let you out. You need someone to show you Jesus so that you can hear him say, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Courageous communities give their courage, they encourage, that's what it is, to give courage, encourage people who have none. Courageous communities refuse to make their focus the storm, they find reasons for hope in their circumstances. Courageous communities call those around them to be like Jesus, to walk on water even if they're sinking. Courageous communities celebrate people who take faith steps, not people who get it right. You know what I loved about this story? You know that Jesus made it all happen? You know, he told them, get in the boat. I'm telling you this because some of you are in storms. I want you to know Jesus orchestrated it. It's going to bum you out. He's less interested in your comfort, more interested in who you become. He orchestrated He He goes onto the mountain. You know what he would have felt on the mountain? The storm? And he waits to the last watch, probably 3 a.m. And he was probably having a conversation with his father. Father, do you think I should go down? Because the storm's quite hectic. Nah, watch Peter. Peter, watch what I do with Peter. It's going to be incredible. Okay, I'll watch what you're going to do with Peter. What did you think about the 5,000 loaves? Flapper, it was cool, eh? <laughs> this, this, this is what goes on. Eventually, 3 a.m. or whatever, he goes down, starts walking on water, gets up to them. You know the one verse, it says that, in the one translation of this, it says Jesus was walking past them. It's like, hmm, it's going slow for you, Cheers. And when Peter finally has the courage to say, if it's you, tell me to come to you, Jesus goes, Come. And he starts taking these steps of faith. You see, this is critical to communities of courage. He starts taking steps on water. And Jesus, then he looks at the storm around him and he begins to sink. You know what? Everybody reads that verse like Jesus shouting at him, why do you have little faith? I think Jesus pulled him out and went, man, Peter, you did well, but my boy, why did you stop looking at me? Why did you, why did you give up on your trust in me? I'm bigger than the storm. And then it says, gets onto the boat and the storm settles and only then did they start worshipping him it was only once the fear had gone that they could see him for who he was and begin to worship him but if you're going to be a community of courage you have to learn to worship him before the storm's gone and so I thought today as I, as I really I want you to do three things I want some of you to invite some mates around and watch the videos that we have 
as a community. I want another group of people to, to invite people to your life groups. And I want a third group of people who can't get into any of those two things to come to the 27th so that I can bully you into a life group.